So I mentioned earlier to you guys that um, I'm, I'm pretty, pretty exhausted. It's, uh, it's been a, a rough go this last month specifically. And um, you, know, you hit a certain point when you just get tired. You just get a bit overwhelmed. And uh, I've hit that point over this last month. There were two things that I was very aware of and uh, very assured spiritually that would happen when the Lord called us to be a praying church. When he called us to pray like we've never prayed before at the beginning of this year, we started making some shift. Two things would happen. Number one, God would move like he's never moved before, which has happened. And number two, hell would fight against it more than it's ever fought against it before, which has happened. I'm going to share on January 8th, I want to do a state of the church address for you guys. And I'm going to talk about all the things that we've seen of God over these last eight and a half months. We have seen miracles. The biggest miracle of all, as you guys who have been coming know, we've seen 258 people baptized in the course of eight and a half months, never before seen in our church. That is a miracle of Almighty God. I've shared this before. I'll do it again and again. We've changed nothing at our church except that we pray like we haven't prayed before. And we're seeing a harvest like we've never seen before. But also, let me tell you, we're seeing the miraculous power of God in other ways. There are two two certified cases of people who had stage four cancer that were anointed with oil and prayed for, and both of them have been healed in our congregation over this course of praying. Two already. And there are so many other stories of miracles that I'm going to be able to tell you when we get to January 8th of how the Lord has answered when we have prayed. It has been phenomenal. But let me go ahead and tell you, the other side is also true. Satan has fought against it like I have never seen him fight before. And he is no fool. He's been around for a while. He knows if he can take me out, that he could discourage the move of God. And he is trying. And I have seen it with as much clarity as I've ever seen it over this last month. So let me just tell you, in case you don't know, I shared a little bit, but I had uh, a month and a half ago, the worst injury of my life where my hamstring was severed from my pelvis and had to have reconstructive surgery a month ago to have it re-anchored and attached. And by God's grace, here I am standing in front of you. But let me tell you, it's been a long journey to get here. The day I had surgery on that Wednesday, I'm laid up in bed, drugged up all over the place. Don't even know which way is up or down. That next day when I wake up, Two of my six kids come down with the worst case of strep throat we have seen in the 18 years of parenting that we've had. Normally with strep, for those of you parents, you throw some antibiotics at it and about 24 hours it goes away. This one, it didn't matter what we did. They're vomiting and sick and fever. And I mean, it's just terrible for about four or five days. So they start that one. Virginia is trying to care for me because I can't do squat for myself. And now for these sick kids trying to make sure she doesn't get sick, I don't get sick while this is spreading around. Then another kid drops down the next day. So now three of the six have it. So we're trying to figure out which way to go. A couple of days later, another kid gets sick, but this time it's not strep anymore. Now flu has come into our house and that's starting to spread. And we're, we're trying to keep it contained as much as possible because obviously if I get the flu or strep while I'm trying to recover, that's gonna be really bad. If, she, if Virginia gets it, we're dead, all of us, because the whole house would fall apart. So we're trying to keep her while she's caring for everybody together. And then a few days after that, our, our youngest daughter, she gets this infection on her eye that we don't know what it is. It gets, gets worse and worse, go to the doctor. And they're afraid there's a staph infection on her eye. It could be MRSA. <clears throat> and we're like, I don't, even, I don't know how that could happen. But we have to rush over to an eye specialist and they decide it's not MRSA, praise God, but something else called eye herpes that can lead to blindness if you don't take care of it. I'm like, are you serious? Now, by the way, um, as many of you, you know, praise God, we have health care, but we have what's called a high deductible plan. So I don't know if you know how much surgeries cost, but they're expensive. 
So money is just like flying out the door constantly for me, for my kids and all this. Then we go to this eye specialist, which that's expensive, and we get this little tube of ointment to put under her eye. A little tube about this big costs over $300, right? A little tube. I'm like, that better be some miracle work and stuff for that much money. Then a few days later, my, my daughter, one of them is in the, uh, her bathroom and she goes, I'm, I really love this heated tile that I have in my bathroom. Except we don't have heated tile in the bathroom. We'd noticed that the water heater wasn't shutting off. So we finally turned off the gas and called a plumber and sure enough, slab leak right there. And this all happened like in sequence, like a couple of days later. I feel like Job, you know, like this happens and this happens, this happens, this happens. So about, about $7,000 later, we get a new water heater and a pipe, everything is rerouted. And I'm going, holy cajoles, what is going on? A few days later, we get a phone call that Virginia's mom is being rushed to the emergency room because her hemoglobin level is so low, it's critical. Now, remember, I'm still like, I can't even move. I'm crutching around the house. I can't do anything. We got all these sick kids everywhere trying to keep Virginia alive while she's caring for her mom and back and forth. And it's just bonkers. Everything is going crazy. And there's a certain point where I'm going, God, I, I can't take this. This is a lot right now. This is overwhelming. I feel like I'm in an ocean and there's a wave just crashing over me. And then I, I finally get up and I'm about to take a big old breath and another wave comes and another wave comes. And then almost like just a little sucker punch from the enemy. Like I'm supposed to preach this message last week, but you know why I wasn't here last week? Because for the first time in two and a half years, I catch COVID. Like, are you serious? Now, by God's grace, it was, it was an exceptionally light case, but I don't think I had to quarantine in my house and I'm watching the worship service going, I'm supposed to be there. I got a message to preach and I don't even get to preach it because now another thing has happened. And I've introduced that into our home and I'm going, what in the stinking world is going on here? And I gotta confess to you, I don't care how strong you think you are. There's a certain point where you just get exhausted. And there's a, there's a point, if I'm being honest with you, we start to get afraid going, what's coming next? I mean, it, it seems to be ramping up. What's coming around the corner? I'm just curious, any of you people know what I'm talking about, have that kind of feeling? that I'm in the middle of the ocean and I can't even catch a stinking breath right now. Yeah, I'll, I'll bet you. There's many of you who didn't raise your hand because you, you just came through it. And many of you who haven't, but go ahead and gird up your loins because you're about to go through it. This is a life experience, that time where you just get overwhelmed and exhausted and sometimes a little bit afraid. You get anxious. You get foggy. Depression begins to set in because you just don't feel like you got any control. There's a point where you start to feel a little bit hopeless. If, if you right now are in that season, here's what I want to say to you. Two things. Number one, you are not alone. Like I'm not alone, you're not alone. But number two, here's what I want to tell you. God wants to give you a superpower as you endure that. And it's this little superpower called hope. He wants to put inside you hope and hope has the power for you not just to endure this, but to actually come out stronger on the other end. There's all these studies about the power of hope, but one of the biggest ones is it does what psychologists cause, uh, call, uh, it creates resiliency inside you. To be resilient means that you don't just endure a hardship, you actually come out stronger on the other end. It's a superpower. And God wants us to experience that superpower called hope. But if I were being honest, and you were being honest, there are so many of us who live this life and we don't live with hope. 
We're in the time of Christmas, the time we're supposed to celebrate hope. But so many of us in the Christmas season, we instead of hope, we feel more anxiety, more oppression, more exhaustion, more frustration. Like the season emphasizes all the problems that we have. And we don't have hope. And the reason we don't have hope is because we're looking for hope in all the wrong places. Today, I want to teach you where to find hope. We find him in the Holy Spirit. And we're going to learn that as we continue our Spirit of Christmas series. I want you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. Now, for those of you who might be tuning in for the first time online, or maybe this is your first Sunday with us, a couple weeks ago, launched a sermon series called The Spirit of Christmas. Not, not talking about like the heart of Christmas or the attitude, but the Holy Spirit and his role in Christmas. Most of us don't think much about the Holy Spirit when we think of the Christmas story, but he's actually one of the central figures of the whole thing. He's popping up again and again and again. And a couple weeks ago, I shared with you that until you realize how prominent the Holy Spirit is in the Christmas story, you won't realize how prominent he wants to be in your story. So we talked about how the Holy Spirit can bring power to your life. This week, I want to teach you how the Holy Spirit can bring hope, this superpower that you desperately need when you're going through hardship. We're going to learn about it, though, as we look at Elizabeth and then Zechariah again and how the Holy Spirit welled up hope inside both of them. First one's going to come in Luke chapter 1. We're going to begin in verse 39 kind of introduce ourselves to the situation here. Luke 1, 39 says this, In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. Okay, I'm going to pause right there. A little backstory, I got to make sure you know at this point, Mary, just before this, has been visited by the angel and told that the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you and, and bring forth life inside you. Now, that's actually going to be the, the little message I'm going to give you on Christmas Eve. So come on back on December 24th, Christmas Eve, to the service we're going to have here. You're going to hear more about how the Holy Spirit brings life. You can just kind of put a pin in that. We're going to, we're going to come back to it. But at this point in the story, Mary knows that the Holy Spirit has produced life inside her, but nobody else knows. Now, there's some debate about whether Joseph knows or not. We don't know exactly when the angel told him, whether it was before he visited Elizabeth or after. But at most, Mary and Joseph know but at least only Mary knows and no one else knows. But I want you to see what the Holy Spirit reveals to Elizabeth, the thing that no one's supposed to know whenever they greet each other. Verse 41, let's keep reading. It says, And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Now, this is a, a very famous passage. And most of the time when you read this, you focus in on how cool it is that John the Baptist inside Elizabeth's womb recognizes Jesus inside Mary's womb. Like, holy cow, the dude moves all around because he recognizes Jesus inside Mary. But in, in focusing on that, you actually miss what the Holy Spirit's doing. What the Holy Spirit is doing is producing unbridled hope inside Elizabeth. You just need some context to, to see that happening. So I've been, I've been talking to you about this wave upon wave of frustration and oppression and hardship that comes. Well, that was the story of the entire nation of Israel back then. The Jewish people, if they were anything, they were oppressed with wave after wave after wave. If you read the Old Testament, you see all these promises that God makes to the people of God. God makes them to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Moses and King David, that, that these are his people. They're going to prosper and they're going to have a, a beautiful land and God is going to bless them. 
And here they are hundreds and hundreds of years and they haven't had any of that stuff. All they've had is tyrant after tyrant who has oppressed them. They're poor, they're cast aside. They have none of those promises. First, it was the Assyrians and the Babylonians and the Persians and the Medes and the Greeks, now the Romans. And they're so tired of being oppressed. And they're wondering, when are the promises of God going to be fulfilled in me? They're starting to feel like you and I feel when wave after wave comes, hopeless. Is anything ever going to change? Afraid of, of what the next problem is going to be. Until Elizabeth has this moment when the Holy Spirit inspires her to recognize who's inside the womb of Mary. And she says, how could it be that the mother of my Lord has come to see me? Now that statement right there is unbelievably profound. Because when she says, how can it be that the Lord has, the mother of my Lord has come to see me? That word Lord, kurios in the Greek, is talking about divinity. I mean, you don't, you don't have to question it. If you were to keep on reading verse 45, we already read it. Elizabeth already said, and blessed is she who has believed the message that the Lord revealed to her. Meaning God revealed to her a message that the baby inside her was God. And he uses the word kurios, Lord, or she uses the word kurios, Lord. Which means... She recognizes Lord is referring to God. And so when she says, the mother of my Lord has come to visit me, she's recognizing that inside Mary is God himself in the flesh. That all those promises that one day God would come and restore the fortunes of Israel have now come. And they're sitting inside the womb of Mary. And this revelation comes through to the Holy Spirit. And she is overwhelmed with hope that finally things are going to change. And it wasn't just Elizabeth that had this hope. Her husband, Zechariah, is filled with the Spirit and given the same message of hope. If you keep on reading, we're going to skip over Mary's response and then the birth of John. But let's pick back up with Zechariah in verse 67 of Luke chapter 1. Listen to what it says here. It says, And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. And he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old. And then if you were to keep reading Zechariah's words, he's going to talk about how God is going to come save them from their enemies. He's going to fulfill all the promises of Abraham. He's going to bring light to the dark. I mean, it's just promise after promise after promise. This beautiful message of hope. And where did it come from? The Holy Spirit. Verse 67, this is the Holy Spirit comes upon Zechariah and he prophesies. But, but I, want you to, I want you to zero in on something. It's so easy to miss this. In the first three verses, or the first few verses when Zechariah gives his prophecy, you get the key to where the power of hope comes from. But it's very subtle. Back in, in verse 68, he says, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and has redeemed his people. So past tense, has visited, has redeemed. And then verse 69, he says, and he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant, David. Another past tense. There's only one small problem. None of that has happened yet. He said he has raised up a horn of salvation. But the moment he says that, that horn of salvation hadn't even been born yet. He's still sitting in the womb of Mary. He hadn't been raised up yet. And when he says he has redeemed his people, that wasn't going to happen for another 33 years when Jesus dies on a cross. So where in the world does Zechariah get off saying all this stuff has happened when it's not supposed to happen for another few decades? And it's the answer to that question that you get the key to the power of hope. If you've been around me a few times, I geek out over this kind of stuff. I've talked about this before. It's what's called a prophetic past tense verb. A prophetic past tense verb. You see it all over the Old Testament among the prophets and in the New Testament. 
is whenever you speak about a future event with so much certainty, you can talk about it as if it's already happened. In other words, it's as good as done. I'm so certain that God is raising up a horn of salvation. I can speak about it as if it's already happened. He will redeem us. I'm so certain about it. I can speak about it as if it's already happened. And that right there, certainty, that's the key to the power of hope. Now think about it for a moment. When you have, when you say, I hope something happens, but you're totally not certain about it, that's just wishful thinking. That's not, that's not powerful. It doesn't really change the way you behave. But when you're certain about something, it changes the way you behave. That hope is different. So like in previous years when the Cowboys are like two and eight, you know, like I hope they win the Super Bowl. Like that's just like dumb wishful thinking right there. You're not really expecting it to happen. You hope, you wish it would happen, but you're not really expecting it. But when you get certain about something, that's when hope has power. I was given that perfect illustration of this last Friday when I was locked up in my room in quarantine. So I was watching the, the quarterfinals of the World Cup and uh, I was watching Argentina play against the Netherlands. Now, here's what you got to know about me. I, I love Argentina and, and I have been, a, I lived there for two years and that's where I became a, a fan of the World Cup and of soccer. I went to a couple of the, it was called La Selección de Argentina, the national team of Argentina, watched them play against Uruguay and Bolivia. And I, I've got all my Argentine jerseys. I'm more Argentine than I'm American when it comes to, to soccer. And so I'm always rooting for Argentina. I know their players and everything. I, I love it. But I got a little bit of trauma in me because of what happened uh, 16 years ago. June, June 30th, 2006. I'm watching the World Cup and it's the quarterfinals. And, uh, and, and Marvin, we've talked about this. Yes. Hey, Marvin, be quiet. <laughs> so Argentina was playing Germany and Marvin is German over here. That's why he's, he's raising his hands. I'm watching them play on June 30th, 2006. Now, the reason I remember that date so well is because my wife was in labor giving birth to our daughter, Madeline, at the time. Now, I want you to know I'm not that dumb of a husband. Uh, I didn't watch the game while she was giving birth, okay? Just, just so you know. But she had had an epidural, and, and also she's a beast anyway. So we're in the hospital, and she's like, yeah, we can watch the game. We're fine. So we're watching the World Cup while she's, you know, like going through labor, and then it came, to, it came to a point where she goes, okay, baby's coming, turn off the game. All right, yes, ma'am, turn off the game. And out comes Madeline, joy, happiness, all right, got a baby. And, and so, you know, holding baby, and it's beautiful. And after a while, things kind of calm down. I'm sitting like, do, 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 do. I'm not dumb enough to ask to turn the game back on. I'm just like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And finally, Virginia goes, you want to turn the game back on? Are, are you sure, baby? Is that, is that okay? I, oh, if it's okay with you. She said, yeah, let's turn back. So I turned the game back on just in time for penalty kicks. And I watched Argentina fall to Germany four to two. And it was just traumatic. I'm like, oh my goodness, a day of rejoicing has turned to a day of mourning for me. Argentina went down, the World Cup ambitions are over. I'll always remember June 30th, 2006. So now fast forward to not last Friday, but the Friday before. And it's the same round, quarterfinals. And I'm watching Argentina play the Netherlands. And they're up two to nothing. Looks like they're going to win. And then the Netherlands come in and score two goals really quickly. And now they're tied. They go into overtime, stays tied. And it comes to penalty kicks. And I'm like, oh, I already know what's going to happen here. Experiencing, experienced that 16 years ago. Now it starts off, Argentina scores a couple of goals. And then uh, the goalie for Argentina blocks a couple of goals for the Netherlands. I'm like, okay, this is going to be different. And then it starts to turn. Argentina misses, Netherlands get it. Now, now I'm crutching around my room because, you know, I have to use my crutches and I'm confined. 
and I'm, my, my palms are sweating, beads are coming down because I'm anxious right now because I've seen this before. I know where it goes. And then I get a text from my son and the text says, Argentina won. Now he didn't know I was watching it on Peacock about five minutes delay. And he just totally ruined it for me. The totally blue. Now I know the ending. I got to watch the last three kicks. But it, it was remarkable how different the experience was once I knew Argentina had already won. I hadn't seen it yet, but I was certain Argentina was going to win. So now I'm not anxious. My palms dry up. The sweat's gone. I'm no longer crutching around the room. I'm just sitting there going, okay, well, let me see how Argentina wins. Changed just like this. Why? Because I was certain Argentina was going to win, even though I hadn't seen it. You see, when you're certain about something, it changes everything. That's the power of certainty in hope. When you are certain about what God is up to, there's no room for anxiety or fear or frustration. You know how God's going to move. Now, I know there's some of you going, well, Jason, that would be great if I could be certain about anything in this world. But have you been in the same world I live in? Because ain't nothing certain in this world. And, and I get that. And I might believe you if I hadn't read Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Can, can I read that for you real quick? I, I, want, I want you to see what it says. These are my words. These are the Bible's words. Hebrews 11, 1 says this. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. I don't know about you, but that sounds a whole lot like certainty. The assurance of things hoped for. Now that, that word assurance in Greek, it, it means to to stand upon. It's this idea of a foundation that you can build something upon. This concrete, this concrete pillar that you base everything on. You're so sure that it's going to happen. And then it says the conviction of things not seen. That word conviction also means proof. It, it is dead set right there. Though you can't see with your eyes, you have proof. In other words, he's saying you can have cement proof that what you hope for will happen. That sounds a whole lot like certainty to me. Now, there are some of you right now, and you're going, okay, well, Jason, I'm a, little, I'm a little confused right now because I've been around here long enough, and when you preach, you always tell me that I don't get to tell God what to do, and he's not my cosmic genie, and I can't just tell him I want something and know he's going to give it to me. You've, you've told me i got to watch out for this health, wealth, and prosperity gospel where that whole name it, claim it. If you just believe enough, you can have it. And, and if, you, if you're feeling that way, praise God, you should feel that way. I, yes and amen, I've said that over and over and over again. There is no place where we treat God like our cosmic genie. That's not at all what I'm saying. Here is what I'm saying. I'm saying you can have 100% conviction, not that God's always going to give you what you want, but that God will always do good. Romans 8, 28 is true. God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And that good will either be he will change your circumstances or that good will be he will change you. Either way, he will always do good. You can have 100% certainty that's going to take place. That's where you have conviction. That's where you have concrete evidence, proof. Look at God. He bats a thousand. He has never missed. He always does good. I want you to turn one of my favorite passages of Scripture, Romans chapter 5, verses 3 through 5. I want to end with this passage because it's so powerful. Romans 5, verse 3, talks about when your circumstances aren't good. Listen to what it says. as the Apostle Paul speaking. He says, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. 
And here you see it all come together again. I don't have to be afraid of my sufferings because at the end of the day, sufferings produce endurance, character, and hope. And that hope has been poured into me through the Holy Spirit. I see it all come together and recognize why it doesn't have to be that God does what I want every single time. I know God's going to do good. I know that even when I'm enduring things that feel like wave after wave after wave and I'm exhausted and I'm frustrated and overwhelmed, if I stay long enough in the presence of God, he reminds me that he's building inside me endurance. And that endurance is changing my very character. And that character is producing that superpower in me called hope. And when you start to have hope, it doesn't matter what the enemy throws at you. You become resilient. Remember what I said at the very beginning. Resiliency is the ability not just to endure the hardship, but to actually be stronger on the other end. And the harder the enemy attacks, the stronger you become. And therefore, he cannot win against you. Because every single time, whether God changes your circumstances on the outside or changes your heart on the inside, God wins. That's where my hope is. Now, I want you to know, God has been preparing me to preach this message for the last month by taking me through everything I've been going through. And yes, I told you at the beginning, there are times when, you, when I get exhausted, I get overwhelmed. By the end of certain days after I've endured a lot, I, I look around the corner a little bit afraid of what's coming next until the morning time. And every morning I wake up, a miracle happens. I wake up, I get my crutches, I crutch on over to my desk, get my Bible out, and I open it up and I start reading. And God's word just starts flowing into me. And then I go brew a cup of coffee and I grab my journal. I go sit down and I start praying. And immediately God starts to flood me with all these things I have to be grateful for. Jason, just look up and see. Can you believe that you live in a day and age when they have such technology that they can take your hamstring and reattach it to your leg and you can walk again? Can you believe that you are so fortunate you work at a church where they provide health insurance so that though it's been expensive, you've still been able to have the care that you needed for your leg? Praise God, Jason, that all these things have been coming out. Yes, the costs have been high, that I disciplined you, Jason, to put money in savings so that you don't spiral out of control when these costs come. Look, Jason, the fact that I gave you a wife who will care for you when you can't walk around, she'll bring food in and take care of you and love you. A church that prays for you and keeps checking in on you. Look at all the blessings you've been given, Jason. And all of a sudden, I'm welled up with gratitude for all God has done. And then God starts to teach me new things, thing after thing. I read his word, I discover a new truth. I discover something good about God. And after this time of praying and listening to the Lord, I get up and I am filled with power. And I come out ready to fight against hell all over again. And that next day, yeah, there'll be some hardships, some frustrations, something else. And I might hit my head on my pillow exhausted. The next morning, the miracle will happen again and again and again. And I just keep getting stronger and stronger and stronger. Why? It's not the power of positive thinking. It's not because I'm willing myself to have hope. It's because the Holy Spirit is pouring hope into me again and again as long as I come to him. And as long as we turn to the Lord, he pours his hope into us. We become indestructible and the enemy cannot take us down. The whole key is in verse five of Romans five. I want to go back. I want to reread that one because this is so beautiful. It tells you how it all ties together. Romans five, five. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. That's the key. God's love is poured into us by the Holy Spirit. And that's what builds our hope. Let me go ahead and tell you, when you know the infinite God of the universe, who has all power at his disposal, at his disposal, el todo poderoso, almighty God comes up to you and loves you. What do you have to be afraid of? 
the enemy can't throw anything at us that the, that the Lord can't turn around and use it for good. He's got no claim over us because the one who has claimed me loves me and has way more power than the enemy has. When I know that the father loves me and is willing to give up his own son for me, then I don't have to live with fear. I get to live with hope. And every morning I spend time with the Lord, the Holy Spirit pours that love into me all over again. That's why it's an inexhaustible superpower. It doesn't come from any other place but the Holy Spirit. And the truth is for you, no matter what you're going through, the Holy Spirit wants to pour God's love in you to give you that superpower. You just have to be willing to believe he loves you. And that's probably the biggest struggle for many of you. There are many of you in this room and you struggle so much to believe that God loves you. God loves all of you. You go, okay, I know God loves this part where I go to church from time to time. And when I try to pray before a meal, God loves that part of me. But man, this part over here, that addiction, the time I lose my temper at my kids over and over again, that the time I say those harsh words, the time when I look at that thing I'm not supposed to look at on the internet, all, all those things that I do, God must be so angry with me. He must be so sickened by me. And we have this feeling that God loves part of us, but not all of us. Can I go ahead and tell you where that comes from? It comes from the pit of hell itself. See, Satan knows that if he can get you to believe you are not loved by God, then you won't have any hope. And if you don't have any hope, he can just toss you around however he wants to. But the moment you believed you are loved by Almighty God, he knows that's going to produce hope in you and then he can't touch you. So he's trying to lie to you to tell you you're not loved. And some of you need to spit in the face of Satan right now and say, I'm going to believe that lie no longer. Doesn't matter how many times I've sinned, doesn't matter how broken I may be, how many people I've hurt, he loves me. Why? Because of this beautiful verse that comes just a few verses later, Romans 5, 8. Many of you are familiar with it. I want to end with this verse. Romans 5, 8 says, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When it says the Holy Spirit pours God's love into us. Let me tell you the kind of love he pours into us. A love that has nothing to do with my behavior. Has everything to do with the behavior of Jesus Christ, who was perfect. And the Father loves me not because I deserve. If you feel like you don't deserve the love of God, you are absolutely right. And neither do I. If you feel like you are unworthy to be loved by God, you are absolutely right. And so am I. But God doesn't love us because we deserve it or because we are worthy. He loves us because he has set his affection on us because he's a good father. And all we have to do is receive it and believe the fact that he would love me. And that produces hope inside of us that the enemy cannot touch. Superpower God wants you to have. So listen, I believe there are some of you in this room. And the number one thing you have to do today is to receive the love of God. There is a moment in time where you have to come before Almighty God and confess, I have sinned. I have not loved God the way he has loved me. I've broken his trust. I've been selfish. Oh God, forgive me. And you ask him to forgive you. And then you say, you've loved me, God. I want to love you back with the rest of my life. That's the moment when you put your faith in Christ and you are forgiven of your sins and you are made brand new. That's when you accept the total love of God over you. I believe there are some of you and you need that superpower called hope and it will not come until you pass that bridge you cross over it and say, I'm, wet, I'm ready to believe he loves me and I'm ready to love him back. Now, every week we have an opportunity to respond to this and God has been moving so much, but we have a baptistry up here on this stage for a reason, because this is our declaration of love to God. I do a lot of weddings and when I do a wedding, 
there's that moment where we have the ring and you, you take the ring and I say a few words about what the ring symbolizes and, and then that husband or that wife, they'll put on the wedding ring. Now listen, that, this wedding ring doesn't make you married. I, I, if I take it off, it's not like I'm free and now uh, I'm married. All it is is a symbol of my love for that woman right over there. That she is my wife and I want every woman to know I'm taken. And she wants every woman to know I'm taken. And so I wear my ring. And if I don't wear my ring, she'll show up at the office with my ring. Here you go. It's a token of my love for my wife. I want her to wear her ring. If she's not wearing it, I get frustrated because I want every man to know that woman is taken. It's a sign of my love. Though the putting on the ring does not make us married, it shows the world that we love each other. Well, that's what the baptistry is. It's not, a, it doesn't save you. There's no miracle working power in that water, but it is a token of your love for Almighty God. It is a declaration, God, you have loved me and I want to love you back. And if this is the way I show it, the old me dead and buried and a brand new me in Christ Jesus, then I'm in. And there are some of you who have never expressed your love for Almighty God that way. And I'm wondering, today's the day where you say, I'm ready. I'm ready to believe that God loves all of me. Not because I deserve it, because he just chooses to love me, even in my sin, and forgives me and restores me. And I'm ready to show publicly that I love him back. In a moment, there's going to be a chance for you to, to respond. We'll have pastors and prayer team members down front. We'll be ready to counsel with you. we got t-shirts that say, Jesus in my place to remind us that it's his righteousness, not my own. And you can be baptized today to show everybody who will hang around that you love the Father as much as he loves you. You love him back. If you need to do that, you're going to have an opportunity to do so. But let me also say this before I open that up. There are some of you who are believers in Jesus Christ. You've already taken that step of faith. You've already been baptized. You, you love God, but right now you are overwhelmed. You are filled with anxiety because of your circumstances. You know what I'm talking about. You're one of those people who raise your hand going, man, it has been wave after wave and I'm, I'm overwhelmed. I'm, I'm exhausted. I'm up to here. I don't know where to turn. I'm a little bit scared of what's coming next. We want to pray over you, but I want you to know specifically how we're going to pray this morning. We're going to ask God to intervene in your circumstances, absolutely. But we're going to pray that first God would intervene inside you. We're going to pray that God would do everything in you to adjust your character, to build hope inside you, that he would do his work in you first and then work on your circumstances. Because maybe there are some of you, and the reason you're not getting over it is because you, like me, are thick-headed enough that it takes a lot of waves before you realize, okay, God will operate on my heart. Maybe today's the day you say, okay, Lord, I'm ready. Change my heart first. Change me first. I believe you're good and you're going you're gonna to do good. I trust in you and you need prayer over that. And then we'll pray over your circumstances and see what the Lord does. And I can guarantee you when you pray, he will do good, either in your circumstances or in your heart. But you got to trust him enough to bring it to him. And so we're going to be willing to pray over you if you need that. And the rest of you can worship and song, and we'll take the Lord's Supper in a moment to remember that. But I invite you all to stand up right now, if you don't mind. I'm going to invite the prayer team members and the staff to spread around the room to be ready to receive you in prayer. And again, if you need today, if you've got those circumstances that are overwhelming you and you're ready to say, okay, God, I trust you. I know you're doing good. Do good in me first, and then do good in my circumstances. And you come. And most importantly, if you're ready to say, oh God, I believe you love me completely and I'm ready to love you back. And it's time I showed everybody that I love you and I'm ready to be baptized. I'm ready to take that step of faith. You come, let us know and we'll help you take that step of faith. Now's the time you respond.